Alrighty, if you think it's true, give me a big T. If you think it's false, somehow do an F shape. I'm not sure how that would go. I'm getting the sense that there's a big T that's true. Uh, Maybe that's real for you right now as you face suffering and it puts priorities of life into perspective for you. I'm not sure. But in these opening words of 2 Corinthians that we just read out, Paul takes suffering and affliction and he puts it into perspective for us. He tells us about his own affliction and puts it into the perspective of the Christian life. But before we get to looking at what Paul says about that, we need to get our heads around 2 Corinthians. We need to put 2 Corinthians into perspective. Where does it fit into the Bible? What kind of book is 2 Corinthians? Well, straight away, if you look down at verse 1, you'll see it's a letter. Have a look there at verse 1. It's a letter from Paul. Paul, the greatest Christian missionary of all time in the early church. The apostle who was commissioned and sent by Jesus himself to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The Paul who put Christianity on the map, literally, and who wrote the big chunk of the end of our New Testament. And you see there, it's also from Timothy. Timothy gets a little mention, which is a nice special comment there. Uh, Timothy was another preacher of the gospel in the New Testament, and he was with Paul when Paul wrote this letter. So, it's a letter from Paul to who? It's to the church in Corinth. The Christians in what was called Achaia, but is now called Greece. Now, When we come to look at 2 Corinthians and we see it's from Paul to the Corinthians, but then we realize that the title is 2 Corinthians, it makes us think, ah, does that mean Paul has already written to the Corinthians? And the answer would be, yes, 1 Corinthians. There's some really interesting background to what goes on here. Because Paul's already written to the Corinthians, it can really help us to understand this letter, to know what kind of relationship Paul had with this church with these Christians in Corinth. So, let's delve into it. And the first thing that might surprise you is that 2 Corinthians is in fact not the second letter that Paul sent to Corinth. It's actually the fourth. That sounds confusing, but let me show you what I mean. We know from the book of Acts that Paul started this church, the church in Corinth, during his second missionary journey as he went around the Mediterranean. He preached the gospel to Jews and Gentiles. He called for repentance and faith, and many came to believe in Jesus. Thus the church was born. He spent 18 months there, and so he had this really invested relationship with them. But then, off he went to another part of the world to do the same thing. A little while later, Paul sets out on his third missionary journey, and along the way, he gets some news from Corinth. So he writes... The previous letter, is that, that's what he calls it. And he mentions it in 1 Corinthians. We don't have this letter. It hasn't survived. We just know that Paul wrote it. Then the Corinthians write back to Paul, and we don't have this letter either. Paul then responds to that letter with 1 Corinthians. Making sense so far? So 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that Paul sent to Corinth. And he was answering a bunch of their questions. And he addressed some really big issues about their church. When you read 1 Corinthians, you start to see that intimate but also strained relationship that Paul had with the Corinthians. Paul has to rebuke and correct them on so many things. 
He has to explain how the gospel should shape their lives, how it should shape their church and their sexuality, how it should shape their gatherings and how they treat each other. If you want a clearer picture of the Corinthians, go home this week and read 1 Corinthians. It will help you as we read this second letter. But sometime after Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he gets some more news about how Corinth is going. And he decides, I'm going to go visit them. But this visit goes really, really badly. Paul calls it a painful visit. It seems that someone in the church criticized and attacked Paul. And at very least, the church didn't back up Paul or they joined in on the attack. But more about that in a few weeks when we get to that passage. So then, because of this painful visit, Paul goes away sad and he sends back a letter. He calls it the severe letter, which probably had a very strong rebuke in it. So there probably is a reason why that severe letter hasn't survived until today. The Corinthians didn't want their name tarnished and this letter copied for all history for everyone to read. And also, it's a little bit hard to imagine a a letter more strong and more stern than 1 and 2 Corinthians, isn't it? If you've read it before, you'd be like, how could he have written a more severe letter than that? But apparently he did. So Paul sends this severe letter and then continues on his journey, anxiously waiting, waiting to hear back from the Corinthians. How will they respond to him? And they respond in a good way. They are godly and they repent. And so then he writes to Corinthians, saying how glad he is that they have repented, that they have been humble and godly and they still love him. And so that's the story of Paul and the Corinthians so far. A deeply, deeply invested relationship, but also a really strained one. Kind of a love-hate relationship. Well, hopefully not hate, but at least grief and hurt. But... Why is it important to know all of this? Well, it's because even though that their relationship was strained, even though there were strong words passed to and fro, Paul doesn't cut them off. Straight away in the first verse and the second verse, he calls them the church, God's saved people. And in verse 2, he prays for them for God's peace and God's grace. And even though the Corinthians might have been hurt by some of Paul's words, they didn't give up on Paul. They don't cut him off. No, they remain in fellowship with him, even though it's difficult. A great challenge to us. So that's the story so far. And so when Paul gets into, once again, Paul gets past his greeting in 2 Corinthians, he gets into his letter. And he begins to put suffering into perspective for us. And he shows us how God is at work in his affliction. So have a look. Have a look at verse 3. That's where we're starting. Paul says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Paul, see, he doesn't want to start his letter by focusing on their strained relationship. No, he wants to focus on the God that they both praise. And who is God according to these verses here? Paul says he's the God and Father of the Lord Jesus. A great reminder for us that we can only know and be saved by God through Jesus, through Jesus' death on the cross, the peace and grace that he gives to us through him. 
But Paul also calls God the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. And then he tells us what he means by this. God is the God of mercy and comfort because God always comforts Paul in his suffering, in his affliction. Paul's saying God is the God of comfort because in my suffering, he continually gives me comfort. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I go, Paul, I get what you're saying, but what are you talking about? What is this comfort and suffering that you're talking about? It's a bit vague. So what does he mean by comfort and affliction in this passage? We'll have a look again at verse 3. God is the God of all comfort. And verse 4, he comforts us in all our affliction so that we can comfort those in any kind of affliction. Paul here doesn't put a limit on the comfort or the suffering that he's talking about. He's talking about all of it. He says, all the comfort that I receive in all my affliction, it comes from God. Whatever comfort he receives in whatever affliction, it comes from God. That's why he praises him. That's encouraging for us, isn't it? That no matter what suffering we are going through, God can and does give us real comfort. Real comfort in the gospel. Now notice Paul doesn't say, that we won't suffer as Christians. There's no promise that we won't have hard times and afflictions. No, Paul says God gives us comfort in and during our afflictions. But what did that look like for Paul? What affliction and comfort did Paul have? Let's start by thinking about Paul's afflictions. Well, if we've read our New Testament, we know Paul suffered a lot. He suffered severe persecution. And in verse 5, he tells us about that a little bit. He says that the sufferings of Christ overflow to him. That is, and here's my visual demonstration, as Jesus suffered, as he was persecuted and mistreated by his enemies, so too Paul suffers. Taking a while to fill up. As Jesus suffered, died on the cross at the hands of ungodly men, so Paul suffers as people from various backgrounds try to kill him, try to persecute him, try to accuse him of evil. Paul mentions some of these sufferings in verse 8. Have a look there. He says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our, of our affliction that took place in Asia. He's talking about when he was recently in the city of Ephesus. Some people stirred up a riot against the Christians there. The idol makers were going out of business because people were coming Christians and throwing out their idols. They were going bankrupt and so they said, let's do something about it. Let's get these Christians in front of a mob and kill them. And so they grabbed some of the Christians, pull them into the amphitheater and threaten violence. This seems to be at least one of the afflictions that Paul was talking about. But that's not all of it. As if that's not bad enough. All throughout this letter, Paul mentions more and more suffering. Persecution, physical danger, being bad-mouthed by other Christians. Not to mention the worry and the grief that he would have had for the Corinthians. And how they would respond to their strained relationship. Paul was a man who knew sufferings well. Jesus' sufferings 
overflowed into his life. But let's think about the comfort now. What was the comfort that Paul received in his suffering? Well, first of all, we know from the rest of the New Testament, Paul found comfort in the gospel. Paul was constantly comforted by the wonder of Jesus' death for his sin, by the resurrection, which meant he had eternal life, by the power of the Spirit that dwelt in him. He was constantly comforted. Paul knew that his eternal life was safe and secure, even if his life here and now was not. And that's what he's getting at in verse 5. Paul says, Just as the sufferings of Christ overflowed, as we saw before, so through Christ, his comfort overflows. As Jesus suffered, but then was raised to life and now spends eternity with the Father, it's a good sound, isn't it? So too, Paul receives the comfort of the gospel. He knows his eternal life is secure. Quite overflowing, as you can see. That'll do. And that's why this series is called Treasures in Clay Jars. Later on in chapter 4, Paul says, we have this treasure, the gospel, in clay jars. What he means is that we are fragile. We are weak. We are bruised and battered. We are treated as worthless by the world. But we have the most valuable treasure in the world, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of his death and resurrection. And so that is the biggest comfort in our sufferings. God has taken our sin. We have peace with him now. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Even if we are weak, even if we are suffering, we have that precious gospel in our heart and mind, to comfort us. But the other big comfort that Paul received is his, in his affliction is fellowship. The comfort of his brothers and sisters in Christ, like we thought about last week. Just imagine for a moment, Paul suffering the way that he suffered, but then a friend comes along, Timothy or Titus, and is able to comfort and help him. Or imagine the comfort when he heard that the Corinthians had responded well to him and they still love him. Imagine the comfort he would have felt when he heard about the Philippians or the Ephesians growing in Christ, persevering in the faith. And this shows us that not only does Paul see Jesus' sufferings overflowing to him, but he sees Jesus' sufferings overflowing to the whole church. The Corinthians, they suffer the same things that Paul and their Lord Jesus suffered. And so they also share the same comfort. Paul has already said this in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, Because we are a body of Christ, if one member, one part of the body suffers, so do all the rest. And if one member is honored, all the other members rejoice with it. This is what Paul talks about in verse 7. He's confident as the Christians share the same suffering together, Paul and the Corinthians, so they also share the same comfort. God is at work in his fellowship of believers, in our fellowship of believers, to comfort us in suffering. And like we heard last week, how comforting is it to know that we are not alone in the Christian faith? Or how comforting is it to know or to hear when someone else goes through the same suffering that you are going through? 
and you see them persevering, doesn't that comfort you? You don't wish suffering upon them, obviously, but you take comfort in the fact that they keep going, keep pressing on, even through this suffering. What about when you hear about someone's struggle, someone's suffering, and then the comfort that God has given them? Doesn't that also comfort you? Paul says it comforts him, and it should comfort us. This is one of the reasons we need to be invested in each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to actually share with each other what's going on in our lives. We need to listen and pray together. We need to offer the comfort that God has given us to others. Because if Paul never knew the Corinthians, how much comfort would he have been robbed of? So much. God is at work in our fellowship when we suffer and when we are comforted together. This is Paul putting into perspective suffering. God is at work in our suffering. He comforts us in it so that we can together be comforted, so we can praise him, so that we can persevere in our faith. But Paul has more to say about this. Not only does God comfort Paul in his affliction, God also saves Paul from his affliction. And that's what we see in verses 8 to 11. As we saw before in verse 8, have a look there. Paul mentions his affliction in Asia, the dangerous riot against Christians in Ephesus. And to show us just how bad it was, listen to the way that he speaks about it in the middle of verse 8. We were completely overwhelmed, beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life. Indeed, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves. This riot was so crazy, so out of hand, so dangerous, that Paul thought, I'm a goner. This is it. This is the end for me. I'm dying. They're going to lynch us. There's no getting out of this one. But God was at work. God is sovereign even over this dangerous situation. And Paul shows us just a few more ways about how God was at work. First of all, look at verse 9 very humbling we personally had a death sentence within ourselves why so that we would not trust in ourselves but in god who raises the dead one of the ways god was working in paul's affliction was to comfort him yes but also to help him to rely on god not himself in this instance paul could not trust in himself There was nothing he could do about it. It was totally out of his hands. He had to rely on God to save him from this. And so we see one of the ways God works in our suffering is teaching us to rely on him, not ourselves. He shows us that he's our refuge and strength and that we are not. God who raises the dead can save someone from affliction. That's the next thing that Paul says. Not only did Paul comfort, sorry, not only did God comfort Paul in his affliction, not only did he cause him to trust in God more, but also, as we see in verse 10, God delivered him from this suffering. He says, He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and He will deliver us. Amazingly, in the book of Acts, we read that the riot died down. And Paul was able to quickly escape. Now, Paul doesn't say 
that this is the norm for all Christians in every situation. He doesn't say we'll be saved from every affliction. No, Jesus is not about avoiding suffering. He's about trusting God through suffering. But there are times when God does save his people out of difficult circumstances. We don't know if he will or when he will or how he will. But we know that he can and at times he does. And even if he doesn't, we know that he will on the last day when Jesus returns, don't we? On that day where there is no more suffering or crying or mourning or pain. But there are times when God delivers his people from their persecution or their sickness or death. And this should cause us to trust God more. To trust that he will do what's best. He will protect us according to his will. And so Paul says in verse 10, We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. And then there's this little bit in verse 11. Listen to it. While you join in helping us by your prayers. And just there, at the end of that verse, at the end of this passage, Paul yet again shows us how important fellowship is. Paul trusts that God will deliver him from persecution. But how will God do that? Through the prayers of the Corinthians. As the Corinthians cry out to God for Paul, God will hear them and answer them. And then he describes the end result in verse 11. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. Paul started with praise at the beginning of his letter. And then the end of this passage, he finishes with thanksgiving. He says, when God answers your prayers, Corinthians, and I am delivered again, you and everyone else who hears about it will thank and praise God for his comfort in affliction, that he saved Paul from that situation. God is at work. God is at work in and through our lives for our ultimate good and for his glory. And so we need to see our lives and our suffering the way that Paul sees them. We need to give God the glory that he deserves because he comforts his people and because he saves them. God, Paul has put suffering and affliction into perspective for us, hasn't he? God comforts us in our affliction and at times God delivers us from our affliction. And so the question we have to ask is, do we see suffering from Paul's perspective? Do we see suffering and affliction as a normal part of the Christian life that God comforts us in? Do we see suffering and God's comfort as a shared experience between all of God's people, both comfort and suffering? Do we see suffering as a way that God is teaching us to trust in him? Do we see suffering as a way for him to answer prayers and bring thanks and praise and glory to himself? Brothers and sisters, when we suffer, let's do so together. Let's share the struggle together and share the comfort that God gives us. And when we suffer, let's look for the ways that God comforts us because he does. Whether it's knowing the gospel or reading God's word or being in fellowship with with other Christians, eagerly look for those ways that God is comforting you. Let's let, then, that comfort turn into thanksgiving and praise 
for the God who comforts us in our affliction and the God who saves us from affliction. Let's pray.